if you have your philosophy right relative to the teaching of the Bible, whenever I say philosophy, I'm talking about your general attitude relative to what the Bible has to say, then your budgeting will be made much easier and your time scheduling will come quite automatic. Your priorities are established, they're in their proper place, and you'll not have as much conflict in this area as what you think you will have. Now, as a young preacher in in East Texas, I circulated myself with a group of pastors that were very well-meaning. I'm just going to, this could have happened in Wisconsin. It can happen in any place in our fellowship. So I'm not making this statement pointing back to the Texas district that I came out of and uh, saying that, that this is a fallacy of that district. It could happen right here in Minnesota. Well, whenever I first started pastoring, my big thing was to see just how hard and how dogmatic I could approach a subject because I felt that this was a note of, of uh, strength. I found out later as I really began to look in the Bible to grow myself that, that the note of a good pastor, or not the note of a good pastor, but, but uh, the, the way that a good pastor is noted is not by how many people he can run off, but how many people he can save. I really thought that that the more people that I ran off, uh, the stronger I was and the better pastor that I was. And, and I heard, had a certain number of colleagues that, that, that you know, they, they bragged on this, this attribute, they thought, this asset that, that I had and that they had. Uh, we even met in restaurants on Sunday afternoon and talked about the people that we made mad on Sunday morning, the people who got up and left our assembly. We were really doing the job. But you see, Jesus came into the world to seek and save that which was lost. And brothers and sisters, if, if we are after the salvation of souls, we must seek out the most productive means to get people to do that. And we are fools if we do not do that. And to sit around and brag about people who left the church is no real mark of strength at all. In fact, it is a sad, sad day when people leave the church. But you see, when your philosophy gets right, everything else seems to fall in place. And uh, your, your life seems to be in much better order automatically. Now, basically, we gave you the breakdown, the things I must do, the things I shouldn't do, and the things I could do. Uh, what happens sometimes, and, and you know this to be a fact, uh, you can be down in your third priority on your list doing the things that you could do. You know, you could go fishing with a neighbor who is lost and that could be a means of reaching his soul. At the same time, you, you could take your top priority, which is God, and the things you must do on a daily basis, such as prayer. And I do think people ought to pray every day. I really do. If you cannot communicate every day with uh, with God, then there's something wrong with your relationship with God. If you can sit around a, a game table to two or three o'clock in the morning with some brother and sister in church and communicate with them and you can't communicate with God, then there's something distorted in your philosophy. So what happens sometimes, we're down in the things we could do in the third priority and we're leaving the things in the top priority undone. Now that's 
That's a very, very simple thing. We'll move right on. We talked yesterday about the method of conversion, and we're going to get into this a little bit deeper. The method of conversion is the same as the method of growth. Uh, Every man who is converted into the Christian faith, he comes in first by hearing the word of the Lord. He then, after hearing the word of the Lord, experiences an attitude change relative to what he has heard and relative to God himself. And then after that, it is time for him to act upon what he has has heard and, and the attitude of his heart. And you cannot be converted. In fact, you cannot grow without first knowing. And knowledge changes the attitude. It is from our attitudes that our motives come. And then, of course, our action follows. Jesus said, be not just hearers of the word of the Lord, but be doers. He was not interested in just what you you knew, but what you did about what you knew. And this is something that's very, very, very important. You know, if you know Acts 2.38, that's great, but what are you going to do about what you what you know, even after you have been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost for yourself. You know, Paul explains to Timothy that we preach the gospel to others, that in saving them, we save ourselves. And so Acts 2.38 is just as meaningful to me today as it was when I obeyed Acts 2.38, because I'm still doing something about it. And what happens for the most part, I say for the most part, maybe I should get away from that. I'm being quite presumptuous. I have I do know though that that uh, this is true in in many areas that people are just interested in sitting and listening to things and they drift from service to service and do nothing about what they hear. Uh, a typical example of this: a message can go forth in tongues and interpretation. You hear the voice of God in a very supernatural and a very profound way. Uh, ten minutes later, a lot of people can't even tell you what's been said. In other words, it kind of went in one ear and out the other, and that's it. Now, if the gifts of the Spirit are used in our assembly, and they should be because the Bible tells us that they should be, well, they're not altogether given to us for direction. It should have some uh, profound effect upon the way you live and the way you, the way you react. The Lord can come in, in a supernatural way and tell us that He's coming soon, and a lot of us can just get up and walk out, and there's no change in our lifestyle relative to that. While, while what he's trying to do is trying to warn us that, that he is coming, and he's coming very soon. I trust that I never reach a place in which the word of the Lord it just becomes commonplace. You know, God's word means so very much to me. And, and I must say this, that in the studies that I am given to you, and I told you that I... These are things that I preach to our people, but most of these I dug out from my own personal spiritual growth because I felt that I was becoming stagnant in God and I felt that there were certain areas of my life in which I did not have the Bible philosophy or the concept that the Lord wanted me to have. We must know that knowledge changes our attitude and then attitude changes our action. Now, to show you basically the method of spiritual growth, we just uh, take a look at each one of our our priorities, starting with God. You see, we must have the proper, the proper knowledge of God, we must have the proper attitude of God, and we must have the proper action of God. Now, I'm just going to spend quite a bit of time here today 
talking first about this and then the family of God and the work of God. Now, as I said before, I do not uh, uh, in any way intend to talk to you about time management or money management. And the reason why is because from church to church, the situation of the church, the financial situation of the church, and also the schedule of services a lot, I mean, the schedule of services have a lot of bearing upon upon the schedule. Now, in our uh, assembly, uh, I try by the help of the Lord to help people when they need it, but I like for them to make their own decisions. And uh, this is basically the reason why that I feel that to have your life organized and to be a steward is very important. See, while I am a steward over the church, each man is a steward over his own life. And it's important that everybody... Uh, learn to manage their life. Pastors are not lords over God's heritage, and they should not be. Some preachers, however, because of their their particular concept or their philosophy, they feel that every little thing and every little move that the people make, uh, they have to put their approval on it and make their mind up for them. Now, I'm not one to do that. Now, I'm I found out a long time ago that that to be presumptuous. Is, an un, is associated with an unclean spirit. And uncleanness in the Bible is direct opposite of holiness. And uh, you know what can happen sometimes? You can just be too curious about things. And uh, when you're curious about things, you'll find out that your curiosity leads to uh, an overreaction on your part from, from a mental standpoint, and you become presumptuous. You, you just put things together that are not right. And I, after studying this out in the scripture, I found out that, that, that I was in great fault by always trying to figure out what people were doing. Well, God did not call me to be a private detective over the people that I pastor. And furthermore, people don't like for you to be a private detective over them. Now, there are times in which you must investigate certain matters. But for the most part, the church is built upon trust. And it's built upon love. And it's built upon honor. And it has to be that way. I want people to trust me, so I must trust them. For the judgment you judge others by, you shall be judged. Now, in this area of Godhead, uh, or God, rather, uh, I teach the people the Godhead. I I think it's very, very important to, to do this. Now, I'm just outlining this for you because this is an area of great concern. And also, if you will write down some of these subjects, it will help you in your personal and and private devotion with the Lord. You would want to run some studies on these. I trust that my second half today will will bring out the, the very, or the extreme importance of this. I teach spiritual gifts also because I believe that, that uh, God uh, is not just a spirit. Well, He is a spirit. He's not just a spirit. And I use the word just a spirit because uh, for the most part we get this idea that, 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 that God is spirit that just does something to us, makes us happy and makes us dance in the spirit and, and so forth. But you see when we take on God, as I explained yesterday, we really take on all that God is. And spiritual gifts represent the power of God. You see... The fruit of the Spirit represents His character. The gifts of the Spirit represent His power. And the ministry represents His authority on the earth. 
So I teach spiritual gifts. I don't think that you can have a healthy church without having spiritual gifts. Now, all spiritual gifts are not verbal gifts, but but uh, verbal gifts do play a very important part. Well, we have heard a lot of caution about spiritual gifts. Uh, constantly, we we you know we caution people about spiritual gifts. Uh, I think when something goes bad, the worst thing that can happen is to overreact. You, you know, I could care less myself what the latter rain movement did years ago. And the reason why is because while I am aware of what the latter rain movement did, uh, God help me if I ever interpret the scripture in the light of what somebody did as far as abuse is concerned. You know, the Bible is a Bible and the Bible stand on its own. And, uh, you know, somebody walked in our church and we, we had a committee, put some ladies, that uh, they were going to beautify the church so they got some, some plants together. And they got an African tea plant. Now, I didn't know what it was. I just know that it matched and looked good. So somebody came in there, and right away, somebody who had been studying all about Halloween and and uh, some of the false uh, religious practices and such, uh, they they heard where in Africa the the natives worship the the tea plant, uh, the African tea plant, and it's something to do with the spirit world. See. So right away, one, one man says, oh, we got to get this out of here. I said, why? He said, well, the, you know, the Africans worship this plant. Well, my reaction to that is, you know, we, we can't blame that plant for what those poor ignorant people do. You know, <clears throat> so uh, we're just going to leave it in the church and we're just going to go ahead and enjoy it. And uh, you, you hear a lot, you know, people don't want uh, uh, this little emblem and that little emblem. And I, I don't want to get into all of that, but somebody went to... Here a campaign, and they came back, and they they took all of the pictures of owls out of the house and the frogs and everything else. And I said, "Well, man, I, I mean, you can't blame a frog for what people does, you know. And if I'm if it's not a symbol of worship to me, then that's all right." Paul kind of explains this situation. He said, "You know, if you go into a man's house and you eat with him, and uh, you think that he the food that you're eating is sacrifice unto idols, but he doesn't tell you." Well, what do you do? He said, you just go ahead and eat it. Just keep your mouth shut and eat it. He said, because it's not going to hurt you one way or the other just because it was sacrificed idly. It has no bearing upon your spirituality. However, he said, now, if the man tells you, and, you know, if he gives you a plate and says, well, here, here's your food today. This was sacrificed unto idols. He said, then don't eat it. Now, why not eat it? It's not going to, it has no bearing on you one way or the other. But he said, if he tells you that, then it hurts your testimony to him because you become a partaker of that which he has sacrificed to idols. But if you know if he just sets it out there, doesn't say a word, just you know, I mean, just ask the Lord to bless it and go right ahead and eat it. it it's not going to affect you one way or the other. And 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 I feel that way about the owls and the frogs and and the tea plants and you know it, it's not going to affect me one. I can't help it what people are doing. And I'll guarantee you one thing, you, you'll find out that, that uh, the Grecians made gods out of people. But, but on the other hand, I, I'm not going to divorce my wife because uh, somebody, you know, made a, a goddess out of a, a woman. And, uh, you know, we, we just have to be practical enough. Spiritual gifts, even though they have been abused, are one of the greatest assets to a church. It really is. It's a great asset to a church. 
Uh, just to give you an example, I was down on my knees praying. Now, I'm going to give you a whole lot of table scraps here this morning. We're just going to throw a lot of things out to you. We're not going to use this a lot, so I still haven't learned the technique of turning this off. But uh, I was down on my knees praying not too long ago. We had a lady who could not receive the Holy Ghost. And I, I use the word could not. She had not received the Holy Ghost. And I just felt there was something wrong. And I, I really didn't know what, what was the problem. And as I began to pray, the Lord just literally told me. I mean, he literally told me. Now, how did he tell you? It just came to me just as plain as anything that I have. I did not hear the audible voice of God, but it came to me. It came to me just uh, very plain. I was, I was on the floor around the altar, and I got down on my, uh, down on my face, really, in, in the carpet. And I, and I just began to cry and pray for this lady. And, and I, saw the, I saw a man from a nearby house go into her house. And the Lord just spoke to me what her problem was. So the, the next service, when we had baptized her, and she had supposedly repented of her sins, well, when she got down to pray, I went and knelt down by her, and I told her, I said, I called her name, and I said, uh, I need to talk to you here because there's a reason why that you can't receive the Holy Ghost. I said, you know, you're wearing out a lot of people at the altar, and, and uh, things are, you know, the Holy Ghost was never meant to be something that you work for or labor for. It really was intended to come easily to people if they had manifest faith in God. And for some reason, you just can't seem to, uh, to receive it. But, but as I was praying, the Lord told me. You know what she said? She stopped me and she said, I knew that you would get the, the word from the Lord. I knew. And I said, well, the, she said, you mind telling me? And I said, no, I don't mind telling you. I said, you're having an affair with your next door neighbor. Because I saw him leave his house and go into your house. And she said, you know, uh, yes, in fact, she said, we just fell into sin yesterday. And while we were in the intimacy of our relationship, she said, I told this man, hey, we got to stop this because my preacher knows about it. Just came to him. She began to just weep. I mean, weep and cry and pour her heart out to God. And uh, you, you see... God needs spiritual gifts in operation in the church. I really believe that spiritual gifts are a great safeguard. You see, I believe the way that God has structured the church, it's very, very secure. The gates of hell cannot prevail against it. You've got to turn heaven upside down in order to destroy the church. Now, I really do believe that. I really do believe that. I believe that with all of my heart. There was a lady who was praying at our altar... Several years ago, I used several years, like five years ago. Uh, she told me that she was baptized years ago in one of our churches, and she never received the Holy Ghost. And, and for the most part, you know, uh, our people receive the Holy Ghost quickly. We instruct them that they can, they do. But she just couldn't. She just couldn't. When I was praying that day for her, the Lord told me, that I need to question her about how she was baptized. And I went and talked to her about how she was baptized and where she was baptized. She said, well, I know it was a church just like this in, in Missouri years ago. Well, I don't just take people and rebaptize them in Jesus' name. I don't think that's a good practice. But uh, what had happened was she was baptized years ago in a church down in southern Missouri. And when I told her, I said, I want you to call back where you came from and talk to, to some of your relatives and I want you to tell me what kind of church it, it was. And so 
She came back and she said, you know, I guess I was mistaken. She said, really, that was in Assembly of God church. And I told them that, you know, our church baptized in Jesus' name. They said, oh, honey, don't get messed up with anything like that. By all means. We took and baptized her in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And right in the tank, she received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, you know, God could have given her the Holy Ghost because a lot of Assembly of God people do receive the Holy Ghost. And if he had, well, we'd probably still just be worshiping with that woman. And she would not be baptized correctly as of now. So I, I just want to say that I believe this is very, very important. Another thing is the, the fruit of the Spirit. We teach the fruit of the Spirit. I think that uh, every Christian, if you want to know about the divine character of God, you need to make a Bible study on uh, the fruit of the Spirit. And you need, to, you need to study it out until that fruit becomes a part of your life. You see, you've got to be the good news before you share the good news. And, and the problem with a lot of people is that, that, that they really don't understand what this brother said. And, uh, and in lesson two today, I'll be explained even further. But the, you see, the gospel seed is embedded in the fruit of the Spirit. You see, you've got to win people to yourself before you win them to your God. They've got to feel good about you. If they don't, they won't feel good about God. Tomorrow, by the help of the Lord, I plan on teaching on repentance. Uh, both the morning and, I say both the morning and the afternoon when we go into the second session. I feel that it's so very, very important. We teach on prayer, we teach on worship, and then this afternoon we'll be teaching on the work, working out your own salvation. And also I teach a lesson on tithing. Now, I want to get in the family of God because this is the area in which I really want to explain something to you because... I believe that this is the area in which we have probably our greatest problem, the family of God. Now, when we say the family of God, we're talking about the church. Now, you need to make a study on the church, just the church. You will find that the church extends beyond the borders of a local assembly. To most people, the church is just, you know, it's Minneapolis, it's St. Paul, it's Madison, but, but when the Bible speaks of the church, it, it extends beyond the borders of a local assembly. Now, that is so important for you to understand. And the reason why that I feel that it's important for you to understand, and listen to me, pastors, when I say this. You know, several years ago, there was a lot of things floating among us in our fellowship saying that, that the pastor of a local assembly is the highest position in the church. Now, I said that I might diametrically oppose your philosophy. Now, I'm not saying this just because I'm superintendent of Wisconsin District. And, and let me, before I go on, I want to make something very clear. You know, quite often we hear in, in, in some of our conferences and places, ministers standing up and saying, well, you know, it's good enough to have to worry about an elected position. I can stand up here and say what I want to say. And I'm going to say this in the presence of Brother Tenney and Brother Merrick. I think Brother Merrick stepped out. But if you're worried about that, let me just clear up your mind. There's a whole lot of us could care less when we preach about what you personally think. Now, that, by that I mean we will not sacrifice our convictions for an office. 
and whether I am returned as superintendent of the state of Wisconsin next election or not, I know what I feel the Bible teaches about this subject. And so I do not stand here to pat superintendents upon the back. And I know what happens. We say, well, organization is man-made. Let me just ask you, where do you get that scripturally speaking? You may say, well, the way we elect officials and such, well, let me just say this. I'm not for sure the way you were elected in your churches altogether the way they did it in the Bible. But for some reason you feel that's valid. And you feel that your position is valid. I believe that God does have an organization that extends beyond the boundaries of a local assembly. And the reason why that we have so many issues coming up among us and the reason why we can't really get our heads together is the fact that each one of us as a local pastor feels that nobody can tell us anything. And I just disagree with that altogether. You will find when you look at Acts 15 that doctrinal questions were always settled outside of a local assembly. And once they were settled outside of the local assembly, they were then sent in epistle form or letter form to the congregations or to the local assemblies as to how they were to carry this commandment out. I find that they had a spokesman, they had a head. And the preachers got together outside of a local assembly and here doctrinal questions were settled upon. I think it's, a, I think it's very, very, very important that you understand that you are treading upon very dangerous dangerous territory when you start dealing personally with a doctrine that has been established by the brethren in the church. It's, it's a very, very dangerous thing for you to do. And don't just be an island in, in, in yourself. I believe that God does have a, a, an organization that extends beyond the boundaries of a local assembly. Well, I'm not saying that our organization is all together, put together as it was in the Bible. I'm not for sure that our churches are that way either. And while maybe they did not elect officials like we elect officials, neither do I believe that they tried out for churches and elected pastors the way that you, brethren, are elected. But nevertheless, you consider your position to be valid for the same reason I consider our organization to be valid. And I think as long as we look at it as being a carnal, earthly thing, then we're not going to appreciate it the way we ought to appreciate it. Now, that does not mean that God has not given us enough sense to change a few things, just as we change certain things in the church. You see, what we fail to understand sometimes is the fact that God did commission the gospel into our hands, and the same mind that was in Jesus Christ should be in you. And if your philosophy is right, uh, for the most part your doctrine will be right and your organization will be right. And I can truthfully say this, I would not sacrifice my convictions any day just for a vote on a conference floor. And God help me that whether I return back as superintendent of the state of Wisconsin or not, that I will still be a full cooperating minister of the state of Wisconsin, whether I'm superintendent or not. And I'm just going to say this, in Wisconsin... When we get camp speakers and such, we try to get men who are full cooperating people. And we check that out. We feel that that is a very, very important thing. See, I don't want anybody coming in telling me how to cooperate when they haven't cooperated themselves. I just don't think that's right. Now, you see, when we're having camp meeting, I'll get into a few. I, Brother Merrick, I call this table scraps this morning, okay? We're just going to throw out a lot of things.
When we're having camp meeting in Wisconsin, me being the pastor of the church, and I did this before I became superintendent, I encourage everybody to go to camp. And we want you to go. Why? Because we believe that the organization of the church extends beyond the borders of this assembly. I'm not afraid to let any of our people hear any preaching from any of our people. Now, they know that. They know when they get back home who the pastor is. But at the same time, to honor our great men and our fellowship, I think it's a, I think it's a commendable thing. Now, let me just pause and get off the subject a little bit, but it all fits together. It would be most hypocritical for you to tell people that they should obey the laws of the land, which are totally man-made. You know that. And the Bible tells us that we should, for this is the will of God concerning you. And yet at the same time tell them it's not important to cooperate with the wishes and desires of the brethren of the church. In fact, Paul used this logic. If they have that much power over you, how much more should we have power over you? Now, I, I told you this might not be real popular. <clears throat> I'm, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to do anything here in, in Minnesota that I wouldn't do in my church or I wouldn't do any other place that I, I personally preach and teach. I just, I really feel that way. Now, the reason why, you see, if you're going to grow in the family of God, you've got to know what that family consists of. You've got to have the right attitude toward that family. And you have to have the right action toward that family. I believe that the church does have, according to the scripture, an organization that exceeds above and beyond the local assembly. If I didn't believe that, I'd be independent, to tell you the truth. I'd just pull out all together if I believed that. And uh, for that reason, I think that there are certain things that God does give leaders foresight in. And uh, it's not, we, don't, we don't close our services when camp's going on. We're 150 miles away. But I encourage everybody that can possibly go to go. Now, I have taught these stewardship classes in 50% of the Wisconsin churches. And I can, tr- I can truthfully say this. I think when it comes to camp and their cooperation, and not only that, but their reverence and respect for their own local pastors, their standard of holiness and worship and such, I put Wisconsin up beside any district, any place. Now, I really mean that, and I say that with a humble heart because uh, I'm associated with them. It's, it's, easy, it's easy to be proud over the things that you're personally associated with. But, but, but our people in our district love their pastors. And you will not diminish, you will not diminish the respect for your position in your church by exalting a leader outside of your church. Now, you won't do that. You, you won't do that. You, you see, it's like a father in the home. If he wants respect in the home, he can't come home from church on Sunday night and have the preacher for a snack. You see, because his, his children, they're, they're, gonna, they're not going to respect the church. And when the chain of command is broken, they in turn then lose respect for him. Young man came to me and he wanted to get married. And I knew the young boy had run away from home and a lot of different things, and he defied his father's position. And uh, so he wanted to get married. I said, "Well, do you think you're ready for marriage?" I certainly am. Now he'd given his heart to God, but you know it, it was just uh, he, he'd really never made things right at home. So 
Uh, he wanted to get married. I said, well, let me just, just ask you a few questions then. I said, now, when you get to, when you get your, you get your own home, who's going to be the head of the household? He said, well, I am. I said, what about your children? He, he said, well, I'm going to be the head of the household. I'm going to teach those children what to do and how to live and so forth. I said, do you, you believe that, do you believe that, uh, that uh, it's, it's all right for a father to be the head of the household? And I said, yes. Well, then, if this be true, then how come you? How come you didn't obey your father when you were at home? And uh, he dropped his head. He said, but, but see, my father's wrong. I said, well, what gives you the assurance you're going to be right every time? You see, submission to authority is not predicated on who's right or who's wrong. Submission is an attitude. It has little or nothing to do with who's right or who's wrong. Now, you cannot find me one loophole in the Bible... In, in which, where the chain of command is given, when you can, under certain situations, disobey. Now, please understand that the law of God supersedes all laws of man. And when you're placed in a position where uh, the law of man is in direct controversy to the law of God, you have no alternative but to obey God. But you see, submission is not predicated upon who's right or who's wrong. Now, you do your people a favor. And you people who are here, you do yourself a favor by honoring your church leaders. As we talk about knowledge, we talk about attitude, we talk about action. We encourage the people in our church to honor as much as possible leaders outside of our assembly. I don't ever want to hear them speaking evilly of the next door pastor. I will not speak evilly of him. I don't think it's right even to bring to their attention weaknesses and such that he has. There's differences in all churches. Like I told this young man, though, now before I will perform a marriage for you, you must go home and submit yourself to your father. Then I think you'll be ready to set up your own kingdom in your own home. All of which he did. And to my knowledge, he's a very good husband now. But, but you see, what happens is we, we like to pick out things that we like. And we hold on to it and we can, we can oppose a whole lot of things that we need. I mean, that we actually need. I just, uh, I feel that, that, that our attitude, our, our attitude toward, toward spiritual leaders, if, if we would just study more and more and more and more, I challenge you. I, I know I get, to, I get all kinds of printouts and, and papers and pamphlets and such where people are, are saying, oh, the organization is all man-made and it's all this. Take a look at the Bible. Now, let me just ask you this. Who was the pastor in Jerusalem? Do you even know his name? Can you tell me who pastored the, the saints in Rome? Can, can you tell me who was the pastor of Ephesus? Tell me who the pastor of Philippi was. Now the reason why I'm saying all of this, it, it, it's good for you to take a good look at this. Because for the most part, those men, and they did have pastors, those men actually pastored in obscurity. And very little is mentioned of them. 
And the reason why that very little is mentioned of them is because when the epistles were written, there was no real reason at that time to glorify or to even call uh, the names of those men. Now, in some cases they were called. some cases they were not. Pastors, hear me, I'm a pastor. We should honor those, especially give double honor to those who labor in the Word of God. But there are times in which I need to take a back seat. There are times in which I invite various functions to Calvary Gospel Church. I would not invite any minister or any function there that I couldn't, couldn't trust. And I take a back seat. And it's not my show anymore. It's, it's theirs. I, I'm a part of something that's greater than the local assembly in Madison. And this is the reason why when I send in mission money, it makes me feel good when I pass by some of these cities where these men are laboring to say, we have a church in this city. Not he has one. We have one. And I feel a part of that. Pastors, is it okay if I talk like this? I mean, there's nothing wrong. Don't be afraid. You're not going to lose your shirt. You're going to find out the more people you honor and respect, the more people honor and respect you. And I have people come and tell me, he said, Brother Grant, I don't know if I did right or not, but you know, Brother Urshan preached at harvest time, right? Somebody told me this. And I sat down and wrote him a letter. And told him how much I loved and appreciated him. I hope that you, I hope that you understand. Listen, I said, you write Brother Urshan all the letters that, he, that you want to write him because he's a very deserving man. And, and, and now you see, you see, here's, here's what happens. In, in the family of God, you've got the church. The church consists of leaders outside the church. It consists of your own uh, position as a pastor or pastors and it has teachers. Uh, it has uh, fathers and mothers and has, has children. I teach lessons on, to the fathers on being a worker and being a provider. For the most part, American males are getting lazy. I mean, they really are, and they're derelict in their responsibilities to their family. They should be a spiritual leader. The wife should be a helpmeet. Sometimes she doesn't want to help, and sometimes the husband doesn't feel like he needs any help. And she should be a keeper at the home. See, there's a lot of forces in our world to destroy all of this. Like through the ERA comes the women's lip movement. You know? Now, you may say, do you think, Brother Grant, that... No, I, I just tell you, right, I disagree with the ERA as it is. That's just it. Because I don't think it has one ounce of viable foundation. And I know that we have some young people here, and, but, but uh, the, the younger ones are gone. But you see what? We're trying to change roles in America. we got to fight against this. You, you see, the, the women are pulling, up the, pulling off their bras and crawling up telephone poles, and the boys are carrying purses around. Isn't that right? They're, they're doing the freeway next to, next to my house down there. And, and, and when I pass by every day, I see uh, ladies out there. Or maybe I should say women. There is a difference. I took my car to the garage, and, and the mechanic uh, was a woman. And, and I was amazed because when she walked up, I thought it was a boy with long hair. 
And here this lady has on big old boots, I mean combat-type boots. She, she was very sloppy and obese. She was about two axe handles and a good of tobacco wide. And, and, uh, and, and she walks up there and she's going to work on my car. Now, you may say, well, I just, well, let me just say, I think there is a job for men to do and there is a job for women to do. And, and let me just put something else in here while I'm at it. And I believe that I'm dead right on this. I don't believe the economy in America can ever be straightened out as long as each family has two wage earners in it. There's not enough jobs in any society to go around. That's not God's plan and it won't work. Now, that doesn't mean the women are supposed to just sit at home. Let me turn this off. I think it's smoking. But uh, I, I just want to—I want to get a little further in this. You know, as you preach, as a preacher, every now and then you turn up something, and you just feel like you just need to keep turning on it for a while. Now, from Ephesians, the fifth chapter, and I, I just feel that I need to—I really need to get into this a little bit. Like I said before, let's turn to Ephesians four. You see, if your philosophy is right, everything else is going to be right. If your philosophy is wrong, listen, you can believe Acts 2.38, you can believe the holiest message and everything else. And, and it still not be right. Now, Ephesians 4, Paul talks about the ministry and the purpose of the ministry. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Now, I know there's a big thing about the five-fold ministry whether it's all in effect today or not. I won't get into that. I do believe there is, a, there is a ministry outside of the local assembly. Now, in Ephesians 5, now he goes on and talks about unity and he talks about the differences that we have. And we, we certainly have a whole lot of differences, don't we? From church to church. Well, when, when people come up to me and say, well, Brother Grant, you know, down in Janesville, they do it different from here. I said, well, that's, that's right, they do. But you see, when we look at all the families of our, our church, you see, each man does things different in his home. Brother Tenney talked about this. So try to get everybody together. You can't get all the preachers together. In fact, I can tell you this, that the people of my church revere me and respect me as much as, pa- as pastor as much as any church I know of. But while I set the philosophy of our church, I can't even get our own people together on it. And they all think they're obeying me. Now, if I can't get all my people together, there's a pretty good chance the next pastor won't. So if all the preachers got together, you still wouldn't get all the people together. You you just couldn't. And you see, that's what Paul is doing. And what Paul is saying is, this is the purpose of the ministry. The ministry is a very difficult, 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 difficult job. And do you know why the ministry is so difficult? On Tuesday afternoon, on Tuesday afternoon, I talked to you about spiritual direction. You see, what's more important to God is not where you are spiritually, not your level, but the direction you're traveling. Now, let me just use two or three of these young people, though. This young man to come up here if he would. Okay, and the young man behind you, and the, let's use these three young men right here. Just come up here. Okay. 
Uh, you can stay down here. He's the biggest, so we'll just say he's the oldest, okay? You go you go by down where that chair is. No, not you. This one right here, the biggest one, okay? Okay, now you're the you're probably the smallest. I, I just got new glasses and I can't see down there, so you you stand right here and you get in the in, in the middle. Okay, here's a man. Here's here's a man that's filled with the Holy Ghost. Two days. That's how you grow. That's what the Bible says. Now, if these people right here did not consider the unity of the Spirit, this man would have every right in the world to argue with this man and this man with this man. We would not expect of a man who's been filled with the Holy Ghost only two days to have some of the religious convictions that this man has. Why? He has not been in the Word of the Lord. And you see, a lot of our convictions are not real convictions, they're only preferences. I prefer this and I prefer that. I tell our people when it's a preference of mine and they still go ahead and do it. I say, I can't prove this to be scripture. And because their philosophy is right, that is their attitude's right, they go ahead and do it for the sake of unity. I'd have very little scripture to prove that's wrong for a man to wear a mustache or beard. And none of our people do it. And when they come in that's new, a lot of them have a mustache and a beard. I tell our, our older ones, now don't just go clobber them. Because the first thing they want to know is give me scripture and give me verse. I don't have any scripture. I don't have any verse. But I know that all of this long hair and this beard stuff that came out of the, the hippie movement came about as a result of rebellion. And whenever I started asking those guys to shave off all of that and cut off all that, now I know the Bible tells us that men ought to have a short hair. But I don't necessarily think that the Bible says it ought to be short to a half inch or whatever at a certain distance over the ear. The Bible doesn't say that. But you see, that's the importance of the ministry. There are certain things that we say, this is the way it's going to be. That's a preference of ours. And God gives us that authority in the house of God, just like he gives a father authority in the home. I mean, you can't prove scripturally that it's wrong for a kid to stay up at 9 o'clock, but some parents want them to go to bed at 8. Why? They prefer that because the kids are grouchy the next day. In other words, there's a reason. They want unity to the home next day. They don't want all that fussing and fighting, so get in the bed at 8. So you get in the bed at 8. Now, this man who's been filled with the Holy Ghost only two days may have some preferences. He, he may have some convictions. He's heard some preaching. He's in the church. But there will be a vast difference in his convictions and this man who's been filled with the Holy Ghost two years and this man who's filled with the Holy Ghost 20 years. And the, the job of the pastor is he's got to make this man feel good about this one and this one feel good about this one and this one feel good about this one. In fact, the Bible even says that we should submit to each other. He has to submit to him. Hmm. Submission is not predicated upon who's right or who's wrong. Submission is an attitude. Let's just lift our hands and praise the Lord while they're seated, okay? Thank you, God. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. You see, Jesus Christ is our example. 
And two times in the scripture, Jesus Christ gave us the perfect example. What did he do? When he was 12 years old, he left his father and his mother, or they left him. He stayed behind ministering. They found him after three days, and he said, Wist not that I must be about my father's business? Let me ask you this. Do you think Jesus was really doing his father's business? I suppose he was. He said he was. Not only that, the Bible also tells us there was never any guile found in his mouth. Everything that came out of him was pure, so he wasn't lying about it. But Joseph caught him by the hand and said, Young man, you come go home with us. Did he go? He went. Do you know the reason why that Jesus Christ stood before the multitude of people and before Pontius Pilate and not opened his mouth? Some people say, well, he just wanted to be humble unto death. The law stated that out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word was to be established. Jesus' disciples forsook him. They left him. They would not testify on his behalf. The Jews hired two false witnesses, two men to come and lie. And they came down and lied on Jesus. They said, he blasphemed, we saw him. Do you know the reason why that Jesus didn't open his mouth? Because he didn't have a case. Because blasphemy was guilty by punishment of death. Did he submit himself to the cross? Was he guilty or not? No, he was innocent. You see, it really doesn't hurt you sometimes to suffer wrong. I say suffer wrong. Suffer when you're not wrong. It doesn't hurt a kid to get spanked every now and then when he didn't do it. But you see, we're so, we're so set on defending our positions as Christians that we lose out with God. There would never have been a resurrection if Jesus Christ had not have submitted himself to the law that he personally wrote. But he came down to teach us how to do these things. So we have spiritual leaders. Then in verse 5, or chapter 5, verse 21, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Now it doesn't say obey, it says submit. If you look in verse 6, or chapter 6 rather, verse 1, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now you know there's a whole lot of difference in submitting and obeying. Did you know that? Really, when, when children obey, and the reason why that the Bible tells us that children should obey is because them being immature, sometimes they cannot help it but to go that route. Now, what do you mean to go that route? You see, if you call your son and you say, Johnny, take out the garbage, and he says, oh, I don't want to take out the garbage, you say, look, you take out the garbage. He picks up the garbage sack. He goes out toward the curb. And while he's out there, you know, he's saying, I hate my mother. I hate my dad. I hate all these rules. I hate everything. He comes back in. He, and you say, well, well, thank you, Johnny. And he goes in his room and says, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's all I ever hear. Now, he's obeyed. Did he not? But you see, his attitude denotes immaturity. But when it comes to wives, it says, wives, submit yourself. 
Now, submission is obedience plus. Obedience plus pleasure. I must create an atmosphere in my home that would make my wife want to do what I wish her to do or ask her to do. And if you're a dictator in your home and you're a man, listen, your wife may obey, but it's just pretty hard for her to submit. And if you're a pastor and you're a dictator, your people may obey you, but it's hard for them to submit to you. And if you're a saint who has your philosophy wrong, and you're an elder in the church, the young ones may obey you, but they can't submit to you the way the Bible says. But you see, through the ministry, everybody gets their ideas and their attitudes right. And we can have children who obey and later submit because they reach an age of maturity. And then they honor their father and respect their mother. And saints can submit to each other. And preachers can submit to each other. And wives can submit to their husbands. Don't we really need the word of the Lord? Praise God. You know, I'm just going overtime here. I've got another lesson to teach. I don't know if you just stand if you would and take a little break here. And servants being obedient to their masters. And then in the latter part of the sixth chapter, Paul says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now basically what I find in in this latter part of the book of Ephesians is that Paul has given us the proper army of the Lord. He talks about the ministry. He talks about the fathers. He talks about the wives. He talks about the children. He talks about the servants. He talks about putting on the armor of God. Then he talks about what we wrestle against. Not flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Now he's giving us this army because he wants us to understand that there is no way in which you can win over the evils of the world that are the cosmos, the work of God, which is the world, without having this in order. God has no problem with himself, but to reach the cosmos, this has to be in order. So, this is okay, this is okay, then what's going to happen here? Then the world will be reached for the sake of the gospel. But if there is a breakdown any place, then the church is not as effective as it should be. But I really believe that if for some reason we can lay aside all of our differences and such, blend our spirits together for total harmonious Christian living, each one of us trying our best to pattern our life after the Lord Jesus Christ, that the church could be an impregnable force in this world that nothing could stop. Or would stop. And I think that's what Paul is trying to say. Praise God. In the cosmos or in the world, we 
we teach adherence to and respect for government officials, civil leaders, law enforcement officers, obedience to the law of the land. I I even like to see people obey traffic laws. Now, I get a lot of flax from people, especially preachers who have CBs and such, but, but, you know, I just try to not make an exception to the rule. I, that's just the way I feel about it. Now, if you've got a CB in your car, I own a CB. I used that CB twice, and it was two times when I went to Salt Lake City traveling with Brother Fuller, and we got on a channel which nobody was on, and we talked southern jargon. <laughs> just for the sake of, <laughs> of old times. <laughs> now, I'm just going gonna to stop here. Uh, We're just going to have to stop and get in our other lesson for today. But this is the way growth takes place. You must have knowledge that changes your spirit or your attitude that ultimately changes your action. Now, turn with me to Philippians, the second chapter. And we'd like to read verse 12 and verse 13. Philippians 2, verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Now you see how this fits into what I was presently talking about. In other words, there will be differences in your life. You're going you're to encounter problems that Brother Grant does not encounter. You'll come against situations that I'll never face. But one thing for sure, the Bible says that the master was tempted in all points like as we, yet without sin. You never run up a thing against a thing that God has not provided the answer for. I really believe that. Now work out your own salvation is not making reference to the initial new birth that you received. It's not talking about that at all. That which was worked into you must then work out of you. Working out simply means or making reference to behavior. Work out your own salvation. In other words, make sure that that your behavior, what comes out of you, what is worked out of you, is the thing that God is wanting. Now, this is a study that's designed to help you depend upon the power of the Word. This will eliminate your need for constant counseling. Now, when I say constant counseling, I really mean that. I'm not talking about occasional counseling. All of us need that. All of us need that. Without exception in the multitude of counsel, there is safety or wisdom Now, what I'd like to do is have you to turn to John, the fifth chapter, verse 39. You may not be able to see this, and if you're not able to see it, I can just turn this off. 
This would be just as effective without. Can you see it in the back back there? Okay, what I'll do then, I'm just going to turn it out. John 5, 39. If you will go there with me. Jesus said, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. Now the word think here means acquiring knowledge. Search the scriptures, for in them you have acquired knowledge that gives you eternal life. For they are they which testify of me. Now the scripture testifies of Jesus. It was not by coincidence that in Acts they were first called Christians at Antioch. The people who called them Christians were not Christians calling each other Christians. But it was the world of the lost, the cosmos that looked upon the church and they said they're acting just like Jesus Christ acted. They conduct themselves just like Jesus Christ conducted him, them, himself. Christian means like Christ or like Jesus. All of us are interested in living the way that the Lord lived and being the way that the Lord was or is. And as I brought to your attention yesterday, Acts 20, 28, to be baptized with his baptism does not mean that we just take on the Holy Spirit that tingles us and makes us feel like we're on cloud nine. But to be baptized with his baptism simply means we take on all of the attributes of God. For when we take on that spirit, we take on all that that spirit is or was. That's what we take on. Now when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he shall lead you into all truths. What happens sometimes, we get the Holy Ghost and we feel that's all there is to God. Because I'm baptized with that. I can't get any more of that spirit. You may not be able to get any more of that spirit. Quantity speaking. But quality. Yes. Some people get the Holy Ghost, but the Holy Ghost don't seem to get them. And that's what Paul was talking about in that second birth in Galatians. You get the Holy Ghost when you're born of the Spirit. But he prayed for another birth. My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. This time he's talking about God getting you. Now the scriptures testify of Jesus. Whatever you need to know about God is found in the Bible. I say it's found in the book. His character in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. His power in 1 Corinthians 12. His authority. Ephesians 4 and 11. How he brought this about through actual living. 
is found in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where he was clothed in a human fleshly tabernacle and walked among us. I'd like for you, if you would, to turn with me to Matthew, the 11th chapter. Matthew 11, verse 29 and 30. Let's read verse 28. Such a familiar passage of Scripture. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Now, what do you say? Take my yoke upon you. And do what? Learn of me. Let's say that together. Learn of me. Let's say it again. Learn of me. Let's say it again. Learn of me. You see, we get the yoke upon us, the Holy Ghost, that binds us, that ties us to God. But it didn't stop there. He said, learn of me. And then he gave us two qualities of himself And the reason why that I think he gave us two qualities of himself, let's first discuss it and then we'll tell you the reason why. For I am meek and I am lowly. Now God is omnipotent. That means he has all power. And one of the hardest things in the world to do for a man who is in fleshly form that was a child of the devil that had the same problem that Satan had when he was kicked out of the throne, is to take on the omnipotent power of God and use it discreetly. And for this reason, sometimes we can stop praying for a week and all of a sudden we get to feel like we're God ourselves. He said, now when you do this, I want you to learn of me, but I want to give you two qualities of myself before you even start. I am meek, and I am lowly. But he said, in this, you're going to find rest for your souls. My yoke, he said, it's really easy, and my burden is really light. What he's saying is, it's a whole lot easier to be meek and lowly than what you think. You let somebody rise up and consider themselves to be Mr. It in the church, and you're going to find a miserable creep. He can't live with himself or anybody else. He's always concerned about somebody getting ahead of him. Somebody singing his song. Somebody teaching his Bible study. Somebody getting his position. Now, that's hard to be that way. Now, Jesus said, but if you're meek and lowly, he said, it's easy. You can find rest for your soul. You can go home, you can go home lie down and go to bed. You don't have to worry about all these things. You see, because the steps of a good man are order of the Lord. And that's not true just because Brother Tenney said it. It was good that he said it. But, but that's what the Bible says. Now, what I'd like for you to do then is turn with me, if you would, to 1 Peter 2. We're going to learn of the Lord, the way of the Lord, the way of the Lord, the way of the Lord. You look throughout the New Testament, you find that term used over and over and over. The way of the Lord, the way of the Lord, the way of the Lord, the way of the Lord. You ask a lot of people, what do you mean by the way of the Lord? I mean baptize in Jesus' name and fill with the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's what they would usually tell you. You may say, Brother Grant, are you saying that you feel that that is incorrect? 
I'm saying that's part of it, but I'm saying that's not the sum total of it. So, in 1 Peter 2, oh, let's start reading verse 17. We'll tie it into the other part. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your own masters with all fear. For it is the, uh, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endureth grief, suffering wrongfully. Is, does it hurt you sometimes to suffer? I, I just I just want to say that, that uh, Brother Tenney, you really fed my soul last evening. And, and when you brought to my attention the example of this preacher who said no... To save these marriages, I'll, I'll suffer myself. I'll take it myself. Now, that did something to me. See, that's what Paul's saying. He said, For it is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. It's not going to hurt you, is what he's saying. For what glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults... You shall take it patiently. But if, when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. <clears throat> you want to be acceptable with God? Now, notice what he says in verse 21. For even hereunto were you called. In other words, he's, what he's saying is, now this is the reason why you were called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. Why did he suffer? In this case, now this is not the only reason why he case he suffered, but he did leave us an example. Example. That ye should follow in his steps. The word of the Lord, the straight and the narrow that's spoken of in the Sermon on the Mount, is not just Acts 2.38 and strict holiness standards, brothers and sisters. We usually refer to being on a straight and narrow. I'm on the straight and narrow. What do you mean I'm on the straight and narrow? Because I'm against everything. I asked a preacher one time. He said, you know, I oppose that. I said, well, what do you oppose? He said, I'm against it all. I said, what? He said, you name it. I'm against it. He said, I believe in being on the straight and the narrow. Well, I'm against everything that's wrong. But to be conservative, let me say this. To be conservative simply means you conserve the doctrines that are proclaimed in the Bible. And you might be considered a liberal by some people. Paul, when he made reference to the people who wouldn't eat meats and worship on certain days, he said, they're, they're, he said they're not the strong ones, they're the weak ones. Now I'm challenging your mind for a purpose here. So the way of the Lord simply means the way that Jesus did it. That means Acts 2.38 because he was buried. And he arose again. But we should follow in his footsteps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, he just fought back. He got in the biggest fist fight you ever saw. No, he didn't. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, what did he do? He threatened not. You know, even when they come to him and said, If thou be the Son of Man, take yourself down. Did he take himself down? No. 
but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. You know, we have to, we have to commit certain things to God. If you really believe that God works together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose, there are certain things that, that you, you don't have to solve. You just have to drop and just let it go. Now, that's the way of the Lord. The scriptures testify of Jesus. Now, the power of the word is explained so beautifully in Hebrews 4.12. And, and I'll not explain that to you because we did that in our very first afternoon session with you. But it is true that God is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God can not only read your mind, but he can also tell you what, tell you, he can read what makes you think the way you think. You get in a group of people, and because of your association with them, it's pretty easy for you to discern who's going to be for certain things and who's going to be against certain things. And their attitude, see, determines that. And when someone diametrically opposes their normal method or routine of doing things, you say he had a change of heart or he had a change of attitude. The Bible is our textbook. Now this lesson is so simple, but yet has done more for me than any one thing that I have personally ever been involved in. You see, I trust the Bible. I don't always trust my counsel, but I trust the Bible. I don't always have a quick answer for everybody, but I believe the scripture has an answer. It may not be a quick one. So I want to give to you five steps to problem solving, or maybe I should not use the word problem, just affirmative solutions. Five steps. Now, I use these all the time in my own personal life. I instruct them to our church, and especially to our new ones, because sometimes new people get preacher religion. I don't want anybody to build their salvation around John Grant. And I don't want anybody in our church to fall in love with me to the point that if I stray, they stray with me. And that was the heartbeat of all the men of God in the Bible. If I... That's what Paul said. If I preach any other gospel... If an angel of heaven comes preaching any other gospel, then this that I preach unto you, let him be accursed. So we build upon the foundation, which is Jesus Christ, according to 1 Corinthians 3. Some people build wood, some build hay, some build stubble, some build precious stones, and some gold and some silver. But every man's work is going to be tried by fire. And the things that will burn will be burned. Now, that's talking about the man's work. It's not talking about the man himself. And some preachers can leave a church, and when they leave a church, everybody scatters. That's no compliment to that man. It's no compliment at all. He, he may be a saved man, but see, his work, it burns. Praise God. I, I, feel, I feel a preaching spirit right here this morning. I'm supposed to be the Bible teacher. The only difference between my preaching and teaching is this. I just get louder when I preach. Really, that's the only difference. But when you have a situation that, that gives you a problem, it doesn't make any difference whether it's you lost your job, you have chronic headaches, you've got a problem with a brother, you've got marital problems, 
I don't care what it is, you first commit it to God. Number one. Why? So that the Spirit can work on you and open you up. In some cases, close you up. Brother Tenney had this saying, said he knew a man was so narrow-minded, he fell on a straight pin and he pierced both eyes. But there are some people who are so broad-minded, their brains fall out too. So you need to do that so that God can make an adjustment that he needs to make. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. You see, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of the Lord. But when it says the word of the Lord there, it doesn't mean logos like the Bible. You may say, well, you're going to tell us to get in the Bible, and that's not what it's talking about. In this case, it comes from a different word, rhema, which means the spirit of the word. You see, if you want to know the interpretation of any writing... The best thing to do is to go back to the author and ask him. And if this is the written word of God, and it is, we need to go first to the author who wrote it and say, give me the spirit in which it's written in. So that when I read it, I can accept it. The second thing that you need to do, and this is only if needed, you need to seek spiritual help. Uh, For an example, let's say that a man's having a problem with a brother and... He's searching the Bible and he just doesn't know what to do about it. And maybe he's not acquainted with, with his, the word of the Lord or a concordance. And so he just doesn't know where to go in the Bible. And all I do in my counseling, I just tell them where to go in the Bible. And I'm going to give you some, some real examples here today if we have enough time. Now... All I do is direct them in the area of scriptural study. I tell them, get yourself a notebook because life is full of problems and you want to grow in God, so you get yourself a notebook. Let's say he's having a problem with a brother. Okay. I show him what subjects to look up in the scripture. I want him to look them up himself. And I tell him, I'm going to give you a week or so You come back in and you give me the Bible study. I won't give it to you. You give it to me. I've got four or five people preparing Bible studies right now for me. They come in and they, a lot of times they're a little bashful and they start studying this. Now, in light of what you've studied, and, and you see the reason why I want it to be complete as much as possible. The reason why that some people interpret the Bible Wrongly is because they don't search out the truth of the matter. See, you, you, you've got to take every scripture in the Bible that deals with the subject as much as possible and then come to a conclusion after you have considered all evidences. You know the reason why the Baptists believe in the doctrine of eternal security? Because they haven't looked at it all. You know the reason why some people believe that all you have to do to be saved is believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ having a mental knowledge? That's not what conversion is. That's one part of it, but that's not at all. Why? Because they haven't looked at all the Bible. They're not considering all the evidences of the Scripture, only a part of it. I want you to consider all the evidences of the Scripture. And they give me that Bible study on the evidences of the Scripture. 
And then I have them to memorize key scriptures. Memorize key scriptures. Thy word, O Lord, have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. If you want the Bible to become automatic with you in your living, you've got to know what it says. And you've got to memorize it. Commit it to memory. And you commit it to memory to the point that you just do it automatically. And after you have memorized key scriptures, you put the Word of God in your everyday living or put it into action. You may say, what else? That's it. Somebody told me, he said, Brother Graham, what if I don't work? I said, then, I, then nothing will. Now, you didn't know it was that easy to solve problems, did you? Let me just put it to you, however, in some life circumstances. We had a lady who had uh, migraine headaches every day. And, and so I gave this Bible study and, and, and she uh, did not come to me because she was a seasoned saint. But I had made reference in the, the Bible study uh, about why some people have headaches and such. They get tense all the time. They're nervous. And by the end of the day, they're tired and have headaches. She thought maybe that was it. So she went and looked up the word joy. She looked up the word peace. Uh, she also looked up healing because she had this headache problem. And she made her own Bible study. And she memorized those key scriptures. And every day when she got up, she began to quote them. She's a very fine lady, a very fine Christian lady. But, but she goes around sometimes with a... With, with kind of a cross look on her face. The Bible speaks of the countenance. The countenance is kind of the mirror of the soul. You know, it's just, you know, I, every now and then, you know, when you sing, you need to lift up your eyebrows. Can, can you smile with your eyebrows way down low? Put them way down like that and try to smile. It, it just doesn't work, does it? Now lift them up and try to smile. <laughs> Works, doesn't it? And you see... <clears throat> And she got to looking at herself in the mirror and everything. She said, I must be a grouch. She talked to her husband. He said, yes, son, sometimes you are a grouch. <laughs> so she made her Bible study on peace and on joy and, and also on healing. And she memorized key scriptures every time she got up in the morning. She said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. With joy shall I drink from the wells of salvation. I should be a happy Christian. Some Christians are not happy. They walk in a room, the lights go out. Like the man who went to a funeral, he looked so pitiful. The undertaker came up to him and said, Son, I don't know if it'd pay you to go home. And you know, some people that way, when they're trying to live for God, they just look dead, you know. just. And that's the way she was. And she got uptight about everything. And she began to search it out. And she began to quote these scriptures. Little wonder that the angel swung low in the heavens that night in which he was born. And declared, glory to God in the highest. And peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And the prophet Isaiah had formerly written of his government. You can't have government without peace. Or you can't have peace without government. But of his government and peace, there shall be no end. And she began to quote these scriptures. And it almost changed that lady's personality. She came up to me and she said, you know what? I want to tell you, Brother Grant, 
I, since I have looked into the Bible and used the Bible to solve my problem, I have not had one migraine headache. Not one. That's simple, isn't it? <laughs> you know, we got all of this psychology junk and all of this, and even some Christians are going to psychiatrists. I tell people, if you go to a psychiatrist, you need your head examined. <clears throat> <laughs> Now, we're not trying, listen, we're not trying to brainwash people. We're trying to bloodwash them. That's what it's all about. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. A young lady came to me, and and this young lady uh, had received the Holy Ghost, and her father was in the university hospital dying with cancer. But the problem that she had was that her father had abused her sexually when she grew up, and he never would work, and her mother had to go out and work. Now her father's in the hospital. He's dying. And she came up to me and she said, you know, Brother Grant, she said, I just feel like I, I, I want to see him saved. But on the other hand, I don't really care whether he's saved or not. And that's not right. And, and so I began to talk to her and gave her subjects. She was new in the Lord. I gave her subjects to study about her parents and honoring her parents. Also a forgiving spirit. You see, a non-forgiving spirit, a person with a non-forgiving spirit can not be saved. And bitterness is a fruit of a non-forgiving spirit. If you see somebody that's bitter, you better run from them. I'm going a little bit over, but I need to do this. Uh, you know, for my sake, I need to do it. I don't know about you, but but you see, bitterness is the fruit of a non-forgiving spirit. And so I took her through a few subjects, and she began to look at them. She then came up to me. And she was quoting me scriptures that she had memorized. She felt led in her heart to go down to the local flower shop. She bought some flowers, a card, and some chocolate that her father loved. She went up to the university hospital, the VA hospital, pardon me. I said university hospital. She went to the VA hospital. She knelt down upon her knees by his bedside. With tears in her eyes, she said, Dad, I forgive you. What you did was not right, but I forgive you. And I will no longer hold this in my heart against you. And I love you, Dad. And he began to weep and he began to cry. And she fell upon him and began to kiss him as as a daughter would kiss a father for the first time. She came back to the church and walked up to the altar with tears streaming down her eyes, her cheeks. And she said, Brother Grant, it's all gone, every bit of it. I have absolutely no feeling against my father. And not only that, but some of the people in the church that were rubbing me the wrong way. It's all gone. It's all gone. You see, search the scripture for him. Then you think you have eternal life. For they testify of me. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me. Learn of me. Learn of me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Brother, we need to learn the way of the Lord. The scripture should be our textbook. I say the Bible is our textbook. Her father since has been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and is seeking for the gift of the Holy Ghost. He's still alive. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Listen, I can't trust myself, but I can trust the Bible. My wisdom's not always right, but the Bible is always right. You see, God's Word has the ability to go even to the joints and to the moral. 
It can divide the soul from the spirit. It can discern my thoughts and my attitudes.